Good morning, my name is Tom. I'm one of the pastors here. And if you're visiting, I want to welcome you to Indelible Grace Church. And if you're wondering, how many pastors does Indelible Grace Church have? I mean, there's so... Talk about... So uh, I'm just the interim pastor here, and um, and what a blessing it has been. And I just want to thank Indelible Grace Church again. Y'all are so, so sweet and kind and uh, have been so generous to me and Wendy. Um, and I'm just, I'm just grateful for you all. Um, so right, David said uh, that we're looking at a new series uh, starting in 1 Thessalonians uh, today. And uh, Wade and I will be going through that book sort of verse by verse. And you know, you may be wondering, how in the world did we come up with that? Um, why are we looking at First Thessalonians? And I'll be honest, for myself, um, I have, to my knowledge, and I've been pastoring for over 20 years, I've never preached, I can't remember a sermon out of First Thessalonians, which I've preached through all the minor prophets. So this is a blind spot for me, I guess. Um, and so, so I was just asking Wade if we could... For just me to be able to preach a few sermons out of First Thessalonians so that my CV is up to date. <laughs> so um, if you would stand for the reading of God's word, we're going to look at First Thessalonians. And uh, if you're like me, it comes after Colossians. So if that's helpful. And this is God's most holy and infallible word. First Thessalonians chapter one. Paul, Silvanus, and Timothy, to the church of the Thessalonians, in God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, grace to you and peace. We give thanks to God always for all of you, constantly mentioning you in our prayers, remembering before our God and Father your work of faith and labor of love and steadfastness of hope in our Lord Jesus Christ. For we know, brothers and sisters, loved by God, that he has chosen you, Because our gospel came to you not only in word, but also in power and in the Holy Spirit, and with full conviction, you know what kind of men we proved to be among you for your sake. And you became imitators of us and of the Lord, for you received the word in much affliction with the joy of the Holy Spirit, so that you became an example to all the believers in Macedonia and Achaia. For for not only has the word of the Lord sounded forth from you in Macedonia and Achaia, but your faith in God has gone forth everywhere, so that we need not say anything. For they themselves report concerning us the kind of reception we had among you, and how you turned to God from idols to serve the living and true God, and to wait for his Son from heaven, whom he raised from the dead, Jesus who delivers us from the wrath to come. This is the word of God. Would you pray with me? Father, in these moments, they're few. As we gather as a church around your word, Lord, may your spirit transform our lives by the gospel anew and afresh, that we become more like you, Jesus. Oh God in heaven, do this work. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. Thank you all so much. So, um, mostly to just get it off my chest, um, I've had so much going on this week, and you're like, thanks, Tom, we know, we, we're a church that's going, you guys, are, you have a lot going on at IGC, I know that, but I've been on jury duty for three weeks, and I still have probably two more weeks to go, um, and I've never done jury duty before, um, and I'm probably not supposed to talk about it. Um, <laughs> And I, I won't say any more about it, but 
It's so stressful. <laughs> I'll just tell you that. Really stressing me out. Because uh, I, I deep dive. I, I mean, I'm not looking up anything because you're not supposed to do that. But I, I invest is what I'm trying to say. Also, some of you might know that I'm um, in training to get my CrossFit coaching license. Yeah, that's probably what I'll be doing after, you know, IGC. I'll probably be um, making $27.50 an hour for coaching. Um, but I've been CrossFit coaching and also very stressful because where I'm looking to do some coaching is at my gym. And my coach, who's been my mentor this past year, uh, well, the last two years actually, um, he makes me coach just on the spot sometimes. And you're like, but Tom, you speak in front of people all the time. It's like been your 20 plus 25 year career. You're standing up in front of people talking. I'm like, this is different. Telling somebody that Jesus loves you and telling someone how to do a deadlift, not the same thing. It really isn't. And there's just lots of yelling. Now that's the same. I do a lot of yelling in church. I do a yelling, yelling, yelling. So maybe it's fitting that I would be doing CrossFit coaching after this, but... Also, Wendy's been gone for two weeks. Yeah, this is what happened. You know, it's just, she gets back tomorrow night. So, um, also a friend of mine is getting baptized up in Roseville, which is a huge blessing. Like so many people have been praying for her. She's come to the Lord and she's being baptized. I mean, just, so I just needed to get it out. Wouldn't it be great if we could all just come up and just kind of unload? You know, like, this is what's happening This is what I'm dealing with, you know. I mean, maybe that's what we need to do today. That's why the town hall meeting, maybe, no, that's that's not the purpose. But I just wanted to let you know that amidst all of this going on in my life, that the mainstay, the, the sustaining piece, of course, is Christ. But it's really been you guys. I really appreciate the leadership here, all the people. You guys are so stable making for my life. And I just thank you for it. All right, so new, thank you. So new series, um, as I said, I haven't preached out of First Thessalonians to my knowledge. And um, Paul here is the one who wrote First and Second Thessalonians. I'm going to go out on a limb with all other good academic scholars and say, Paul, who starts with Paul in the first verse, is the one who wrote this, these two letters, these letters. So um, if you have a problem with that, we can talk after because I looked at other resources that want to say he wasn't, but he was. Oh, this is background on First Thessalonians, by the way. He, Paul, is pushing against two poles, all right? Well, that just sounds like what we're dealing with in, a, in our country, right? Always the poles that we're always pushing against. But Paul here is pushing against this. One side of the pole is God's people, those who know that Christ died, was buried, was raised from the dead, ascended to the Father, which is what we've been talking about for weeks in Indelible Grace Church, those things. Those people who think that Jesus' return at this time, which is around 49 or 50 A.D., was imminent. So if you think, as God's people, trusting in Jesus who has died, risen, and ascended to the Father, is coming back very quickly, what would you do? Now, I know we'd like to say a lot of grand things, but some of us would quit our jobs immediately. Like, if he's coming back tomorrow or in a week, you know, I'll make it. I'll just, I'm quitting. You know, you would just, you would sort of, you would sort of stop in a lot of things, right? Well, that's one of the things Paul's talking about. That's what happened. 
was there were people who thought Christ's return was so imminent that they were actually loafing off of their friends, that they had stopped working. They'd become very idle, not the I-D-O-L kind, the, they'd stopped doing anything. So that's one side of it. But Paul is also, the other side of that is you've got others living as though Jesus will never return. You know, it's just, Jesus died. He was buried. He rose from the dead. And if that, if that didn't happen, there's no reason for us to be here, by the way. But he did. And he ascended to the Father where he intercedes for his people. And so Paul's pushing against the other side of it where those were thinking, well, he's going to come back, but I don't know when, and maybe it's never, maybe it's not in my lifetime. So those people were business as usual, zero change in them really, no intentions, no expectation, no anticipation, right? So Paul's, so if you're reading First Thessalonians along with your church, which I encourage you to do, you'll see these types of, you'll be like, oh, I see where Paul is trying to address the idle ones, and he's trying to address these ones who are just business as usual, um, what's the best way to be thinking about living out the gospel now in the middle of before Christ returns? It's not being idle, but it's not business as usual. It's some other gospel way. And uh, uh, maybe um, just to show admiration for Tim Keller, he always liked a third way, right? It's not this. It's not, if you listen to him enough, which I encourage you to go listen to Tim Keller. He passed away a couple weeks ago, but... He, he would always say, it's, it's not this, it's not this, the gospel is another way. And obviously, living in the gospel life as we want to do as a church, it's not being idle and not expecting anything as far as Christ's return, but it's also not business as usual. I don't know, where do you find yourself? I'll let you sit in that for one second. Where, where are you in that? For Paul, um, this letter was also written during his second missionary journey. Um, which I just have to throw that out there for, for some of you who love to know those little little nuggets. This is a second missionary journey letter. Um, did y'all know there's so much um, guffuffle about how many journeys Paul had? Yeah, that's a rabbit hole. Don't go down that. Three, I think, is what he had. But this is a second missionary journey that he had. And so there's the context. Paul is reminding God's people who they are in the moment that they're living in, I'll just try to bring it in the moment we are living in. Who are we in Christ as those? If you look at your text, either in your Bibles, on your phone, as Paul says in verse 4, as those who are loved by God, chosen by Him because of the gospel and how that word by the Spirit with full conviction has changed our lives. And how has the gospel changed our lives? Two ways. I'm, I'm to my two points. The text just says it very clearly in verse 6. Paul says, you became imitators of us and of, of the Lord. That's what the gospel in the moment, in that moment, and as, it, as we continue on in this life before Jesus returns, is we are imitators of those who follow Jesus and of Jesus. And secondly, um, if you look down at verse 9, Paul says, not only have you become imitators, but you turn to God from idols to serve the living and true God. So the two things here, as David helped kind of get us thinking about, was that we need to be imitating Christ and we need to be dropping our idols. 
And um, I'll just say that both of those topics, those concepts in Scripture, are super annoying. I don't love them. These are not my favorite topics. Um, Yeah, I had to sit and think about this all week. So um, welcome to the party. So thinking about what does it mean to imitate, to be an example, to, to imitate Jesus, to imitate others who are really following Christ, what does that look like? What does that mean? Now, if you're in uh, anything in academics right now, um, which I was, I don't feel like I'm following as closely as I used to, um, but there is a little bit of a hot, hot topic, and it's called exemplarism, which is basically, you know, how do, how do we know uh, if we see a virtue being lived out? Or wh- what is a virtue? We know it when we see it lived out. That's exemplarism. And uh, there's... She's, she's not famous, but she's a, uh, an academic who's written a lot. Her name is Linda Zagzebski. I won't spell it for you. She is a scholar who really has spent a lot of time in the last few years looking at what does it mean to live out a virtue, or how do we know when we're seeing humility? Because we can't define humility very well. We struggle. Or we don't define things. It's hard to define virtue. But when we see it lived out in somebody as an example we know. We know that's humility when we see it, right? And so, just think about that for a second. But when we think about imitating Jesus, I know what you guys want. You want a leader, a pastor, a teacher to give you a list of behaviors that you can do to, to show that you're imitating Jesus, right? We all want a list of things that we're supposed to do to show that we're imitators of Christ, and it's just so more nuanced. The gospel of Jesus Christ and Christianity is so nuanced and so uh, unintuitive that it can't just be boiled down to a list of behaviors. I'm sorry, modern evangelicalism. It cannot be boiled down to a list of moral behaviors as far as, oh, if I'm doing these things, I'm imitating Christ. If I'm against these people, these behaviors, if I'm for these people, these behaviors, then I'm imitating Jesus. And it is so much more complicated than that. Oh, Tom, are you saying that I don't even, I don't even need to try to imitate Jesus because we don't? No, I'm not saying that either. But I am saying that the church in America, Western evangelicalism has really boiled the gospel down and imitating Christ into a few... I mean, I'm from the South. Imitating Jesus was no dancing, no drinking, no tobacco use, like all these behaviors. That's how you imitate Jesus. That's horse fodder. It is... It's wrong. It's not the gospel. You can do or not do all those things and still be a completely horrible human being that knows nothing of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Or you pick your own behaviors that you're good at, that you actually have a handle on, and you can make that your Christianity and make that your badge of honor as an imitator of Jesus, and you may not have anything to do with him at all. I'm just throwing that out there. You know... I was trying to think, what does it mean to be an imitator of Christ? Imitator of those who are following him. What is it? And so, I'm going to give you a couple of ideas of what it could look like. All right? Are you back with me? Okay. One idea is, y'all know cover bands? Are y'all familiar with cover bands? Some of you, like, um, Our Last Night is one of my favorite ones. 
It's okay. There's lots of them. Cover bands are bands who only sing songs that everyone already knows. So, you know, like my favorite cover band is Our Last Night, and one of my favorite covers is Skyfall, which is the theme song from Skyfall, the James Bond movie that came out. Are y'all with me? Y'all know what I'm talking about? Okay. They did an amazing rendition of Skyfall. Adele does great. I mean, she's great. I love Adele. Amazing. But our last night when they did that cover, I'm like, yes, that's how, because they're a little screamo. I mean, they're amazing. I encourage you to check them out. And I'm not just trying to be cool because I don't need to try that hard, but they are a great cover band. And when I heard Skyfall, I'm like, that is Skyfall. That is Adele's Skyfall, but it is our last night's Skyfall, and I loved it. You see where I'm going here? If you don't, come back to me, because we all need to be Jesus' cover band. And you're like, right. So, look, every cover band would, would cover Skyfall differently, and all of us, and that's why the body of Christ believers, individual believers, and us as, as a church is so amazing because you get to cover Jesus in your way of living out him in your life that I'll never get to be in your life that much. I don't go to your job. I don't know your neighbors. I'm not in your grocery store all the time. I'm not, but you are. You're a little Christ because that's what uh, Christians were called in Acts 11, little Jesuses. Is, 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 is. And so we are technically cover bands for Jesus, and you want to be a good one. So that when, when you're covering Jesus in your life, people are like, huh, I've, I've heard that, but actually, you're, I, I'm seeing Jesus differently, and I like this. Right? And you're like, yeah, yeah, that's right. Come, come to him. And, and, you know, to me, that's what imitating Jesus is. Can, can look like. That's a, an illustration, a metaphor, if you will, for following him. There's so many more. Um, and then I'll, I'll, I'll get to the second point. Um, and the second point is drop your idols. So, you know, that'll be quick. But one of the reasons you like all the characters in a lot of the stories and movies and books and all the things is because most of them are, and you can really look this up. Check me on this. Fact check me Twitter on this. Most of the characters you love are because they are imitating in some way Jesus Christ. Harry Potter, we like him because if you really look at Harry Potter, if you read those books, it doesn't matter about the author. You're like, well, that may not be a Christian author. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter if they're Christian authors. Jesus Christ permeates every cell and pore of the universe. So when somebody writes a book and are drawn to characters that they love, it's all because of Christ. Harry Potter had power that he refused to use when he could, but then when it came to life and death and people he loved, he used it. You know, I mean, that's Christ. You love him because he reminds you of Jesus. And, and non-believers too. They love him because, and they don't maybe get it, but you could be a cover band for them and go, hey, you know, one of the reasons you like Harry Potter, he's kind of like Jesus. The Gandalfs, the Jack Dawsons. Yeah, I had to bring Jack Dawson back because that's a Titanic reference. And I think 
from now on, I'm going to make sure I weave a zombie or Titanic reference into every sermon until I leave. Jack Dawson is beloved, and we didn't want him to drown and die because he is like Christ. He gets rose off that ship and saves her life by his own. I mean, we love him because he imitates Jesus. Do you get it? In Les Mis, I'll give you one last example. So I went down the rabbit hole of rereading. I reread almost the entire Les Mis. You're welcome, Victor Hugo. I mean, it's a PDF version. You can just look it up. Reread the whole thing. It had been since senior year of high school. And you know the... Anybody seen Les Mis? Please tell me. Oh, my gosh. How many, have you read? Okay, I'm done here. It's like, no. Um, so there's a character in Les Miserables who um, is the reason that the main character, Jean Valjean, becomes the amazing person that he does. And that's because that character, the bishop, the Monsignor, is so much like Jesus. And you know what? In the movie and in the Broadway versions, they give that character like seven seconds. And in the book, they give, Victor Hugo rightly gives him hundreds of pages, lots of pages. Like they build his life, his character so much. And then in the end, where he is so much like Jesus to Jean Valjean, that you cannot do anything but recognize that is a gospel moment. And if, if everything that I'm saying, like I haven't read the book, Tom, I haven't seen the movie. Well, that's your job today after the town hall meeting. Read the book. All right, so you get the idea. Imitating Christ. All right, you get it. All right, so dropping idols. That's the other thing that Paul says happens when you're loved by God, chosen by him, the word, the gospel, full conviction. That's what happens to you. You become a cover band for Jesus, and you drop your idols. Okay, the last few minutes, we're going to talk about what that means. What You're like, Tom, we're not in the ancient world anymore. We don't bow down to Baal and to the Ashtoreth and all those other ancient gods that the Israelites adored. So would you please get off our case? We're not idol worshipers. We're Bay Area modern people. We don't walk around with idols. Okay. So... Yeah, you do. I do. You do. We all do. We're John Calvin um, says our hearts are idle factories. You know, just cranking them out, just right and left. And um, so, how do we deal with that? First of all, maybe that's news to you. You're like, I don't worship idols. Well. Uh, I'm going to read something to you that um, I actually thought I'd gotten rid of. <sighs> Too bad I didn't, because um, I don't like this document that I'm about to read to you. Uh, it's online. You can find everything online, including Victor Hugo's Les Mis online. Uh, this document is called Heart Idolatry. It's put out by World Harvest Mission, or Surge is their new name. Um, maybe I'll become a missionary with Surge. Anyway, they put out this document a very long time ago. And here's how it starts. Think for a moment about this question. What one thing should I do to grow more as a Christian? Hmm. Seems very innocuous. Like, oh, this sounds like a good thing for me to read. It gets terrible. 
Wait a second. So what things should I do to grow more as a Christian? If someone asked you that question, how would you respond? Would you suggest some basic spiritual discipline such as reading the Bible, praying, finding Christian friends, repenting of sin, learning theology, reformed theology, learning reformed theology? I added that part. The crowds, okay, so maybe you think those things. The crowds brought this exact query to Jesus in John 6. And his answer was this. The work of God, this is in John 6, the work of God is this. Everybody should be all ears when Jesus says, what is the work of God and how, what does it mean to do his work? The work of God is this, to believe in the one that he sent. To believe. Notice that they are asking Jesus what they must do to live a life that pleases God. Jesus answers that the work of God is to believe. In other words, the Christian life is not about doing, it's about believing. Getting this right is crucial to sanctification. Most of us are naturally doers. We gladly embrace the next project, the next pastor, I'll add maybe, the next challenge, or not, the next assignment. So our pursuit of Christian maturity produces a lot of busy effort, but very, but, but little lasting change. Why is this? Because we are doing too much and believing too little. You see, and this is where the, I know I'm reading a lot, I apologize. Come back to me. This is the last few minutes, and I think, you know, there's something to be had here, because I'm not all saying it. You see, our surface sins are only symptoms of a deeper problem. The article goes on, and it is horrible and terrible to read, because it's so convicting. I encourage you, don't look at it. The article then uh, unpacks a surface sin. Uh, and I'm going to just give you an example from my own life so that I, you know, because it's the only way I can really make it practical is to just, and you're like, oh no, the pastor's going to confess his sins. Don't worry, I'm not. Okay, it's way worse than what I'm, I'm going to tell you. Um, so the other day at the gym, um, I was actually competing with this 34-year-old woman because uh, you, you compete a lot in CrossFit. You know, you're trying to get a better score than somebody. And so we had Chipotle riding on this particular workout, and I was going to beat her. And so I had my kettlebell all in the right place. I had all my equipment. If you know nothing about CrossFit, that's okay. Good for you. Good for you. But I had it all, I had it all there, and I was going to beat this woman because she's 20 years younger than I am, and I'm a man, and I'm going to beat her. So I, it's a timed workout. I get to my kettlebell, and someone else had taken my kettlebell. Didn't know that I'd set it there. They took it and were doing the workout. They didn't know that I had a little competition going on. And so what do you think my response was in that moment? You know, I could have just waited. I yelled very loudly. There are 20 other people in the workout. A terrible word. You can just guess what that word is. Uh, It wasn't a good one. Very loudly, like so loudly that everyone, and there's loud music playing, everyone turned to see me, to see me. Like, he took my kettlebell! Right. Totally, you know, justified, because I had a competition, I had Chipotle writing on this. I mean, it was sinful. 
It was stupid. It was sinful and stupid. Most sin is stupid. I'll tell you that. And if you don't believe that, check your sins out a little bit. But it was a very surface sin, right? I just expletive. I didn't get my kettlebell. Everyone knows it. Hey, right? Terrible. Terrible. But it's, it's very surface. I could literally go to God and say, God, I'm sorry. I could tell everyone, I'm sorry for that you heard that, you saw that. I'm really sorry. I was competing. You know, I could give all the reasons. And I could confess and, and cling to the gospel. And I have to. Everyone saw it. I have to cling to something. But the thing is about idol dropping is it's a surface sin. What's really below the surface is what the idol is. Right? So the reason that in that very instant, at that moment, I had no control and just had to lash out and burn and level whoever is in front of me is because my idol was being touched, was being tampered with. And so what do you think that idol is? Well, if you read this article, which I don't recommend you do, the article's really helpful. If you put in a sin like an outburst, an angry outlash like that, it'll help you walk through what are the potential idols of your heart that you're clinging to, like your reputation, like youthfulness, be like, yeah, Tom, I think that probably is an idol for you. Well, mind your own business. <laughs> exactly. You see, your stuff that you do on the surface all day is all about what's really going on below. And that's what you got to drop. That's what I need to repent of. So, yeah, I repent in front of everyone. I'm sorry. I repent to God. But then I have to go before God and say, Lord, I repent of worshiping youthfulness. I I repent of my reputation or some semblance of power that I think I have. Right? All these things, that's the root. And that's what has to be dropped. That's the third way. The gospel. You get it, right? Thanks for your kind attention. My hope is that these types of things, imitating Christ, idol dropping... It's a forever thing until he returns. It doesn't end. That's right. Being a Christian can really stink. But it's the only way. Pray with me. Father, do your work by your spirit. May your word, um, may the gospel be so, so sweet to us. Help us to drop everything to hold to you, Jesus. In your name we pray, amen.